Good morning, Jonathan, and welcome to the Make an Impact podcast. I'm delighted to have you with me. We are live on LinkedIn, so hopefully we'll get a few people watching the live and asking some questions, which I can then share back with you. Um, So Jonathan, please tell everyone that's watching and listening a little bit about yourself and Chime Audiology. Morning, Heidi. Uh, Chime Audiology are an NHS audiology service in Exeter and East Devon. And in that sense, we're like most hospital audiology services in that we do specialist stuff within the hospital and we do adult hearing aid work and work with children and balance services, etc. Chime are a little different as 12 years ago under legislation called Right to Request, we were able to spin out as a social enterprise. So we're owned by our staff. We have a direct contract with the ICB for providing the audiology services uh, in our area. Uh, and we're able to do what we can in terms of efficiency and effectiveness, knowing that any money that we save has to, by law, be reinvested in NHS audiology. So we're all on NHS terms and conditions, NHS pension, etc. But we've been freed, in effect, to try and make the service as effective as possible and have the advantages of not being part of the hospital as a larger organisation with different priorities. Um, that doesn't mean that's always easy in negotiations with ICB, but at least it means we're having those discussions rather than somebody else have it on our behalf. And it sounds like a, a, a huge decision 12 years ago. What what made you um, want to do it in, in terms of, of spinning out of the NHS uh, other than the the efficiencies and that, you know, as an individual, what, what what was the desire in you to to lead this transition <laughs> well uh, it needed a bit of prompting uh, to be honest with you we were pointed towards this legislation by colleagues in the Exeter uh, academy for deaf education and at the time we were part of the primary care trust and like anything else really we we, we weren't really the priority we we're living in a in a mixed economy of sharing um, how well we're doing and your budget kind of changed from month to month depending on how well somebody else was doing but we got the opportunity to look at what was possible and that opened our minds to um, all sorts of information that was out there and organizations that could help us mm-hmm. so um, we were indebted to the chief executive of NHS Devon at the time who supported us uh, that was Anne James um, and I don't think we'd have got very far if we didn't have that support and the same with Academy, really. They'd got, uh, you know, a 150-year history of being a charity with a board. So it was national initiative. Um, there was an encouragement for uh, local health economies to access this where they could. And I think we met the criteria in terms of the governance that, that would allow us to, to actually make a go at this. So, so yeah, you, you, you're right. Um I guess we were all clinicians at the time, um, including myself. Okay, I was a head of department that was seeing less patients, but I was still seeing significant numbers of patients. And it made us think about what we needed to learn differently and what we needed to do differently. So um, I don't think we really understood to to a massive level what it meant that we was going to do. Just that that it, it was a good idea and it felt like, audiology was the sort of speciality where there could be some more independence 
given that you know for a lot of what we do there's quite a big product cost for hearing aids for example uh, and we could negotiate those so um, we saw the scope um we saw the potential uh, and gosh we're still growing 12 years on we're still realizing that i think it, it takes a lot from an nhs service to change into what is effectively a business orbit not for profit um uh, and yeah still learning so what have been some of those biggest learnings for you? Um, that there are efficiencies out there. So you start off, your starting point is is perhaps naively thinking that, uh, for example, NHS supply chain, get the best deal on everything uh, until somebody points out to you that NHS supply chain are DHL. And of course, they have an element of profit in there. So being able to purchase outside of that, not being stuck within the NHS protocols that dictated we had to do things, almost always found that we could make savings somewhere. And also knowing that those savings stayed in the system, I think is a big plus for the NHS. So NHS money is staying within the NHS system. Um, and that we got competitors. So um, under something called any qualified provider, um, high street uh, providers such as Specsavers and Boots and Outside Clinic, often in some geographies are able to compete for NHS pathways. So we were able to directly contrast that and say, well, you know what you're paying us for the activity that you're, you're paying for now. This is how much it costs and this is what you're getting for it. So we were able to, um, at our last tender about five years, pull, pull that work back into Chime's um, remit, uh, uh, thus any profit that's on those pathways stays in NHS audiology and reinvested back in. Um, we learned that, you know, there are some people who are huge advocates for, for what we're doing and there are others who were keen to see themselves as, as still the NHS and what's this difference that's happening. So although now we've got, you know, most of our members are actually owners and we've got an effective employment engagement group uh, with a budget able to do things. I think early on, people were, were kind of, well, well, great. Okay, when's the first vote then? You can, what? Well, we're going to vote on everything, every decision that we make, you're thinking, well, well no. So, so one of the, the biggest understandings for people was that, yes, we're a business and there are people with specific roles and there's a board and there's a managing director, et cetera, and people have to make decisions and trust those. Okay, they're now being held to account more by staff than they were before as we were in a hospital department uh, and for us to get comfortable with the fact that that actually if they grouped together and held an extraordinary general meeting they could vote down anything that we were doing so it, it does mean quite rightly that we have to involve people more communication must be better than it was before um, and things like having a weekly call where we talk to everybody um, that can access it but recording it and putting that out to everybody made a huge difference um listening to staff through something like engagement multiplier judging ourselves every three months on our, our ability to communicate with each other uh, also giving everybody the opportunity anonymously to talk to me and again that's a real eye-opener in terms of of where we are what people are thinking what might be not going so well and and, and perhaps where there's bad feeling so um gosh lots of lessons um, just about growing, really, and and turning it into something 
much better than it was. And, and try and work. Yes, we've got values and purpose and all the rest of it, but try and work under the principles of first and foremost, we want it to be an excellent service to patients. It has to be that, but also it has to be a great place to work as well. And I think we continue to move the dial on both both those things. Wow, it sounds like uh, almost like you've you've had an easy journey there. In in that you <laughs> you you had the the ideas of about what you wanted in place, and and you've stuck to them and made sure that they're just consistently repeated and and improved upon. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say. Uh, gosh, it's probably the most difficult thing we've ever done. <laughs> ever done. And I thought I was busy before, but. Um, and you really have to live it, um, but but it's in one sense it's saying saying to us right okay you've now got more control step up and deliver, and be judged by it and uh, I think that's a, that's a, a thing that a lot of my colleagues would love to be able to do given the chance, so we are talking to other services and trying um, to get the message out there about how this could work for others. Um, but in one sense, we're, we're fighting against a system that, that that kind of doesn't like to change, that there aren't the drivers that there were before. There's no right to request anymore. So um, whilst you can get to heads of service who are really motivated to do something like this, how do they connect with their trust to convince them that that might be the right thing to do? And how do you connect with the ICB to try and do something different? So 12 years on, we've done, done a lot in our area. Uh, we're increasingly going to conferences and talking about what we're doing and, and trying to use this platform to help others um it's difficult to get engagement um so we're early days with that really yeah yeah i i, I do think that the the right to request was a a brilliant opportunity for those that that took mm. it whereas now like you say that there isn't anything like that and um I imagine there's probably quite a few people that could reimagine healthcare in different ways at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. I say we just come back from conference where we we had a stand talking about the model. Uh, it's the second year that we've we've done that in a row, and some really good conversations with people who would really like similar things to happen and get the principles of it, um, but are, are really struggling to find the mechanism that that'll help them to do that. And whilst we can offer help and we can say well we could um, formally come and look at your service if you want to commission us to do that we are helping quite a few informally and saying we want you want to be asking this and also asking that um i think there is a great opportunity um and obviously we're we're prioritizing on england and nhs england where we are but but outside of that in home countries there are equally good opportunities uh perhaps less encumbered by things like any qualified provider. So you could make decisions around this model of service without it being further complicated by existing groups of other providers with perhaps different, slightly different motivations, we say. Yeah, definitely. So um, going back to Chime, as opposed to changing the entire healthcare system, <laughs> um, you, you talked about um, excellence in delivery. So do you think that since you you've become chime and independent from the NHS that the the service and the delivery has changed or or was it always excellent before? Well honestly we thought we were good before and 
did have uh, something of a, of a reputation for for a decent service because we'd we'd always been keen to be up on the newest initiatives and um, look at what was happening in terms, for example, um, different formulas for fitting hearing aids with children and uh, ways of measuring that. So we kind of had a national reputation for that. Um, but it it, uh, it has allowed us to improve the quality of the product through savings and direct negotiation when it comes to hearing aids. It's also allowed us to to look at each aspect and you know having a board that's entirely focused on audiology or NHS audiology, if you can make the case that you need something in order to make the service better, you've got a more direct route to making that happen and you're more in charge of that. So acting commercially and, and making some money and knowing that that money goes into buttress the NHS service uh, allows you to to change things perhaps earlier than, than would happen under normal circumstances. Uh, an example of that is that for the last two and a half, three years, we've had something like eight apprentices in training at the same time. Because we can see that we need to grow our workforce to meet future demand. And because there are very few audiologists coming off a degree programme. So when you talk to my colleagues uh, in normal hospital trusts, it's kind of, well, how do you do that? Uh, we're not even allowed to have one apprentice until we can show that there's a, uh, a gap and somebody's left. So now NHS England are allowing us to talk about that and say, well, look what China have done in terms of apprenticeships and kind of lauding it as the principle whereby clearly there needs to be more people done and, and uh, intre significant interest in the the measure of, of how hearing loss Rectification of hearing loss can help with things like the course of dementia, or it's shown to be the major factor in relation to that. It means that the NHS has got to cope with seeing more and more and more hearing aid patients at an earlier time. Well, we've created the workforce that's able to do that at our cost through our efficiencies, et cetera, uh, whereas it, it, it hasn't happened so much in, in other places. So colleagues are kind of wondering how we manage that. Well because we had a strategy to invest in doing that. Um, and that cross cuts across all sorts of things, really. Uh, how do you want the service to look? We're freer than most to try innovations. So um, we might try different parts of pathways, some of which are online, et cetera, that are more difficult to, to routinely do elsewhere. Uh, and so as such, we're keen again to go to conferences and talk about what we've done and, and what the evidence is there. Um, yeah, that, that kind of thing really, Heidi. It's just trying different stuff, being focused on what, what we need and trying to make a way for it to happen. Um, a good example, I guess, is um, patients quite like coming to, to hospital to see us or to the locality clinics on some of the occasions. And we know that because we asked them and they said, yeah, sometimes we like coming to you when we can visit somebody else or we've got another hospital appointment. But actually, there is nowhere in the middle of Exeter and why wouldn't we want to come and see on the end of every bus route? So uh, to go back a few years, but we went to the, the NHS Devon and said, right, uh, here's an idea. We think we might want to be in the high street. Was, what a fantastic idea. Uh, we haven't got any money. <laughs> OK, so, so how do you make that happen? And we borrowed money against a business plan from a social investor, SASC, Social and Sustainable Capital, and over three years paid that off. So we have now a high street venue where it's nearly all NHS patients are in there and it looks fantastic and people come in and go, oh, is this really NHS? 
and book up one of those rooms where we're doing wax removal and we're seeing commercial patients who pay for their service and the paying bit helps the NHS bit to exist. So it's that those kind of synergies uh, and that kind of trying to think around the the, the answer no by, by using chime to mean yes that, that, that has helped us do different things. Mm, I, I think um, the fact that you you decided to create chime in the first place means you you have to have that uh, entrepreneurial skill set and innovative thinking um, in you somewhere. <laughs> you know, and and yeah. this is perhaps it, it's it's been an ability to test and get develop that skill further in in the team. I think. I think that's that's the point. Yes, collectively within the team. So um, you you don't know that you've got necessarily entrepreneurial skills. What you do know as as a head of service is that that you know the obstacles that are stopping you do what you want to do in terms of the service. So it's finding a a way around that. Um, you need people within your team who are willing to try different stuff, and and so somebody who pushes to do something different all the time. Um, can have great results and it's about testing it and trying it and see if it works um and it won't always uh but we have got a good team now and yes they've all bar, bar the board come from clinical backgrounds and most of them still see patients so we're all grounded in in what we believe in um and what we've trained and, and what we've practiced in uh, but are, but are willing to to find ways to make it happen managerially or yeah, as you say, entrepreneurial. So, um, talking about impacts, obviously, my my favourite topic in in the universe. Um, so, have um, in terms of impact on patients, what what are some of the 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 main impacts that you've you've delivered and achieved? Um, well, better hearing aids for a start. So, we're fitting uh, receiver in the canal to thirty percent of our patients those that are eligible and that that just doesn't happen elsewhere and uh, people love that they they don't know that it's any different to any other area until, unless they come across a friend uh, who's not from our part um, but it's great and it's a good service we we are able to challenge the ICB in terms of their level of contracting and so because we have the direct relationship with them this is not always comfortable for them or for us we're able to say what's missing in the service and we're able to say what might need to be commissioned in order to meet future demand. So we're currently going through that process of, of saying, right, we've, we've trained all these apprentices and there is a need to see these extra patients and there is a waiting list. Um, we will reach a point fairly soon where we've, we've met our contracted levels for the year and our ICB is going, yeah, but there's no money. So you can't stop seeing patients. I'm saying, well, we have to stop this procedure because there's a new, uh, there's a product cost with each one of those. It's, it's, it's been able to have the sophisticated le level of of conversation in order to push those boundaries for those patients. So, I would say direct consequence of of what we're doing is that more people will be seen, who need to be seen, who wouldn't have been seen otherwise. Um, again, we look we look at each area and what we do and try to be efficient about that. So. Uh, moving to things to direct access for uh, for balance services for example they used to all come through ent and we'd be 
kind of instructed what test to do. Uh, the same with kind of tinnitus work. And it's what we've shown, and we're not unique in this, but we, we, we've done it because we were able to do it, is that if the audiology service becomes the triage for those sort of patients, we can get in early, we can do the right sort of test, we can exclude more sinuses, that kind of stuff, and send them where they need to go. Now, that might be ENT, but it might be neurology, it might be somewhere else. Um, or they might just need what we're able to prescribe for them in terms of exercises to get to get better. So we have a, a, a an initiative to try and get those patients to be able to see us sooner and sooner and sooner. And that might mean some of that being commercial, and that's not what our stated aims are, but you kind of have to be a little bit, um, not schizophrenic, but you, you kind of have to work the, the, the private part or the commercial part in order to pull the NHS part up. So, so one might not need to exist in the end, but it needs to exist now to create the money in order to create the NHS kind of way of things. <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense. Um, one of the, the things that I, I've learned through, through working with you and, and doing the impact work is, is that hearing issues impact so many different things. I mean, I, I, I didn't realise until till I started doing the the impact measurement work with you a few years ago that it and I was like oh my god I never knew this <laughs> it, and I know you've you've touched on um, dementia but actually the the impact is is huge in terms of other NHS services isn't it oh, absolutely and uh, it's about keeping people active and people keeping people in play in work and socially so even mild um, to moderate hearing loss that we kind of all get as we as we get a bit older can be so isolating in terms of um, the socialization and all those sort of things and quite easily fixed and hearing has traditionally had a, a stigma associated with it that that visual difficulties haven't so people are very comfortable wearing spectacles and generally didn't like wearing great big hearing aids that are beige and basically so there's a label that says old hearing aids are not like that anymore the nhs as a whole does brilliantly in terms of the hearing aids that that they offer and they connect to all sorts of equipment as well like tvs to your mobile phone you can get get your phone to ring in your hearing aids and you speak through that those sort of things there are even things at the moment where where some type of sophisticated hearing aids will translate up to 30 different languages for you almost real time wow, that's amazing you know, stuff that was in kind of a hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in terms of the Babel fish or whatever. Everyone needs one of them. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the, the the way that technology is moving on and the way that we're able to help people, that there's almost a case to be made now with mild and moderate hearing loss that you're better off with hearing aids because you can hear better than, than normal people uh, can hear. And, and the connection with different devices um, allows you to, you know, to real live connection with internet and this kind of thing um okay that's a, that's a long long distance for, for for most people and you might say well you know um a lot of your patients are elderly how can you see people remotely via an app uh and you know a different thing that we do is be able to make changes to somebody's hearing aid without them coming in and you'd think that might be a very specific specific set of people who um are very technology savvy uh, you just can't make those assumptions um We've got 95-year-olds who are connecting with us 
fire iPads that their children or relatives have sorted out for them. I had somebody walk past the office the other day going, and she was she was 95, I looked her up afterwards. She said, yes, the trouble with, with Apple Safari, it isn't as good as Microsoft, something else, I can blindly say. So, uh, and yeah, they had come in to see us. So there's a choice. So, you know, we are a face-to-face profession, but but also increasingly people want it now and haven't the time to come in to see us. So, so it may be that, uh, you know, we mix things up, obviously. Yeah, definitely. I'd, um, I think the technology has is, is definitely opened up um, access and also opportunities for people that perhaps couldn't have had the 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 level of of life in terms of independence and different things that they perhaps could have previously. And we have fantastic comments from people. Uh, we collect comic uh, comments, obviously, for to to let stuff know. Uh, but we get you know uh, written people writing and saying thanks all the time, and we just you know it's well I couldn't hear my grandparent my grandchildren now I can I. We were struggling at home, shouting over how loud the telly was, and and now it's sorted, and I can hear it at my level. And I go, so so all those sort of things make for a more harmonious atmosphere, but also the little things that that can go wrong so quickly, um, you you can put right. Mm. Well, Jonathan, it's been really really lovely talking to you as always. Is there anything else that you want to share that that I haven't asked you or? Um, uh, go, go on then, Heidi. I thought you were going to ask me about the impact report. Um, um, well, we, we can talk about <laughs> the impact report. I'm 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 not a, I'm not a very good at being a salesperson. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, let me say that 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 we had one done a few years ago, and and that was great. And uh, we discussed it at board before we commit we commissioned again this time. Uh, and some were were somewhat dubious about what extra information we could do and whether it would be helpful to us. Um, it's been amazingly helpful. So it's one of the best things we've done in terms of the greatest trawl of information in terms of asking patients that we've had before, which has driven us to to find a way to do that on a regular basis. But but what's been produced has been just so useful for us with commissioners, with other services, with with, with places like NHS Scotland, just to show this is what we've done and this is what's achievable. And there's little to compare that with. So un- un- unfortunately, again, there is, of course, there's good work going on in hospitals that are not social enterprises, but they are they don't have the the possibility of showcasing it in the way that we're able to, uh, in the way that we've done through the impact report. Uh, so we were really really pleased with it. Have used it often, and it, it is mentioned so much uh, at every meeting that we have, including yesterday about have they seen the impact report, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, we're currently in negotiation with our ICB about future contracts, and that's not easy because of the NHS financial situation. But but what we can do, and it's kind of not challengeable, and they, they really struggle to find anything to compare it with, is show them through the impact report how good we are. Yeah, and I mean, there's two things that, that stood out for me in terms of the impact um the the one is that your your patients clearly love you because they're very engaged and when when the survey went out we got a a, a huge response rate which which meant that actually you, we we could get the data and the second thing around the data was that we we could really delve into to the the, the differences that it had made to people's lives 
as opposed to a, a friends and family <laughs> questions, which, which don't really tell you anything. And <clears throat> for other NHS services, they would struggle to really understand what difference the hearing is having on somebody's life and what what's actually changed, whereas you, you've got thousands of people responded and gave you data about what difference it had really made to them. So it was for me, those were like the, the two standout things. And obviously you're you're up for some awards um at the Social Enterprise yeah, UK been, Awards. Uh, <laughs> nominated for a couple of things, uh, or shortlisted for a couple of things. So we're, we're excited about that. And um yeah, any way that we can we can use those things like awards to, to promote what we're doing and, and show that this is a different way is a, is, a, is why we're there, really. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's, um, as always, a real pleasure to talk to you. And um, let me just say bye bye to everybody. Just trying to figure out how to stop it. (laughs) We're going to broadcast forever.